Promise no promises. Seeing into the heart of things. The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series. Seeing into the heart of things, earth and equality within indigenous and ancestral knowledges. This collection of episodes emerged from the Master Symposium in fall, moderated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, in collaboration with Culturescapes 2021 Amazonia. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to discussing indigenous thought, decolonial feminisms, and the political possibilities of the mythic imagination. Certain questions will preoccupy us. How do indigenous cosmologies create forms for resistance? How does the Western imaginary of the Amazon, from its roots in racial capitalism to its corporate tech paternalistic present, cloud our understanding of how its people and non-human spirits narrate themselves? How do ecological and decolonial practices find their form in the visual and oral matrices of indigenous narratives across the world? Since the long 16th century, the organization of the world has found its hegemonic form in hierarchies of power and possession. Between those who exploit and expropriate and those who are exploited, and whose lives, lands, and resources are expropriated. This is not the past, nor a function of ideology only. If the projected supremacy of one form of life over all others is only made possible by manifold forms of violence, one of these forms remains the invention and constant reinvention of nature by colonial cultures. This invention rests on an idea of progress in which nature is construed as what one emerges from. Indigenous ancestral epistemologies hold a different understanding of the real, though. The land owns us, Aboriginal Australians might say. This podcast series features talks of Vandria Borari, translated by Carolina Brunelli, Katerina Botanova with Quinn Latimer, Paulina Fyodorov, Katya Garcia Anton, Davi and Dario Kopanawa, translated by Sara Saltalamakia, Nobotic with Anna Garthon Sabogal, Jeremy Narby, and Ashfika Raman. Depression by theater, film writer and director Paulina Feodorov. Her family is originally from the Kola Peninsula, in the extreme northwest of Russia, 
and she grew up in a family of reindeer herding skull Sami. Feodorov has fought for water and land rights, as well as to preserve the reindeer husbandry in the old forests of Nelim, in the east of Sampi, northern Finland. She has served as elected president of the Sami Council, a period during which Feodorov visited many remote Sami communities in Russia, where she addressed the issue of mining companies occupying the land. Unlike I usually do, I didn't prepare a ready lecture or speech. I brought few thoughts that are pretty unclear or cloudy, which I wish to share with you. And uh, if there comes a dialogue in a kind of that is fine. And if if not, that's fine too. Uh, the reason for this is like uh, why I didn't prepare anything is that I tried to really contemplate on the topic or not the topic or the team or the invitation that you have given for all of us. And as Anette was sharing in her work, thank you for that in the video clip, there was, there was said that what does Tupa say just goes through you. And even though these kind of a contexts are not the ones that somebody would start speaking, being uh, some kind of a beacon of transmission that come, just comes through, but uh, in a similar, similar manner, if we are to go there, if we are really willing to go there to re-establish relationships with the land, whoever, what if, or whatever is the name that we currently give her, would it be the Gaia or the Earth or, or uh, Mailmi or Ma or Ennam or Yannam or Aike or the myriads and myriads of variations how to call her at some point we need to rely on just the goodwill of the other and the good energy from the other human entity that is communicating to me and who I'm responding to and when that is doable between human beings that can be doable with Finland as well. And I think uh, what is happening now globally, I don't have anything solid to confirm my thought, but what is happening globally now is that uh, land is so tired and land is so overworn and overused that this sensibility and sens sensitivity that has been part of the, all the traditional cultures globally that gives you the possibility to have a collective dialogue with her that has, uh, as Katja Karsi-Anton was so incredibly precisely uh, describing how that uh, those uh, continuations for such dialogue had been transformed or scattered into something else after a long history of violence, even in areas that the contact with the, another form of, of thinking would have been lasting for a thousand years or 500 years, as it's in the case of Sapmi.
there are still, as Niels Holmberg, a great Sami poet, says, there are children being born with their ear leaves, shape of a leaf, who have they who learn their grammar from biology. Or what I'm trying to say that, that this yearning for dialogue, the yearning for solutions, yearning for other ways of being also creates new knowledge holders, even though that the quicker path that every, every cultural legacy for learning grants and the uh, privilege of learning by somebody else's work grants. Because binding of the carbon and cutting the emissions and ending the industrial extractivism is one thing. But how to ask for forgiveness and ask for permission for another shot. How to do that in a very concrete manner. How to do that in a manner that is solid. How to do that in a manner that responds back. And the major place of happening, it's just not your imagination. And as Katja was telling you, at least in the European or West European context and the Sami context, art has been the place for the processes that has given us human rights, for instance. It is this art context uh, or this very particular happening that uh, introduces me and my background to be someone with expertise, be with someone who has something that would be relevant for the questions that we all are facing, something that gives some extra value for the conversation or even has methodologies or ways of doing things that have been tested already 50 or 40 years earlier than other Western art context is. Uh, if this would be a political process, the process that we are sharing here today now, depending on a bit of a structure or the placing, it might be that uh, my human existing human rights or understanding of me having inherent human values or a value as a just being would disappear or would have very different interpretation if there's no one with me coming to ensure that everybody in the meeting, meeting remember that the current Nordic legislation gives us the same human rights as every other Nordic citizen. Uh, also, if this would be a conservation process uh, or research process, all, all those grant or make possible or diminish the interaction or the capacity or the potential of the interaction that can be gained in this very short time that we share together, especially within the political processes that every Sami artist, or I could say I cannot speak on behalf of other indigenous groups, but I could think that most of the indigenous artists have to be involved, whether they 
choose or not part of some kind of a political processes because if they choose or not those political processes will have a deep impact on their day-to-day -day lives uh, in a manner that is about life and death. What kind of a processes that are indigenous, what kind of a context could grant an indigenous process of any kind is a very alien question for me. Uh, I know that I have been devoting my whole life for trying to build a future that there could be a space for indigenous processes. But outside of art, I have not succeeded to be a part of that, those kind of processes or being able to participate of such processes yet. Since the indigenous practices, indigenous land rights, indigenous ways of thinking and endemic way, ways of doing things are still being controlled so strictly in Nordic and European context that such space is non-existing. But also it, it is self-evident, but I, what I'm about to say, but I still need to say it at least for the Sami, for my Sami in me, uh, that uh, art is not a foundation. Art is not a cornerstone of being with the land in a sustainable manner. In, in this uh, dialogue that I have been having with the art and art education ever since 2000 and, uh, sorry, 1996, when I was 18 and started to study in Helsinki, Finland, in a theater academy, I have tried to understand so much what art is other things than a tool or a vessel or a mean or a methodology for trying to create more gentle spaces for myself and for my communities as well. And for those respective and gentle spaces, there could be a room for a dialogue to defrost a blocked or traumatized psyche that is in a survival mode due to the recent losses or the historical losses that you just heard about. And in order to move past that uh, lizard brain of your lizard part of your brain that just takes care of the functioning of the body that you will be fed, you will be sleeping at some point, you will have a shelter, but rather to go into broader horizon again to ask such questions that uh, am I having and fulfilling my role as a human being? As Harold Kaski said, am I living as a human being? And um, those kind of uh, moments when this deep frost can be broken and some kind of uh, over-generational information is not only being passed, but is brought to present. It is lived here and now, when those moments are lived, that a group of women, for instance, are able to give themselves a task or pose themselves a question that, uh, am I able to connect with the tree in a manner that can be transferred to you? And if that is to be succeeded, what a profound revolution in the slowness of Arctic time it begins. That Yes, after all this erosion, we are still able to civilize 
ourselves in a manner that we are even able to say aloud the very simple basics, greetings, and then starting to cre- recreate the alphabetics, how to, how to find out the whole vocabulary. And if the vocabulary starts to form, how to form out a total grammar after a grammar, what kind of a protocols come with of using of this language, using of this grammar? And when the grammar and protocol and all these are intertwined, I don't know even how to imagine that far, but I would guess that we would be somewhere where my great-grandmother was still being, that uh, speaking with the weather was an everyday necessity and everyday sacred happening, a way of being and way of talking was, that was practiced on a daily basis. And since nobody chooses the time and the era where we are born to, nobody chooses the paths that are laid before you, without a possibility to choose from. You just try to cope what you can with as well as you only can. And they somehow I have felt that the uh, amnesia that the Westerners or the Western European so-called bigger or greater civilization has been a bliss for them because if, if that kind of a communication, straightforward communication is already generations back, you don't miss it. You already find a new ways to build your societies, whether it be around science or also art. But if, if that profound change is happening only stone cast away, you are born with the grief of understanding that you are so untaught and you are so much less equipped or Ill, more ill-equipped than your ancestors were in that most crucial life skill that anyone can have. Uh, one of my uh, biggest gifts from the travels across the ocean has been from Alaska a couple of year, years back where I spoke a great Klingit, Klingit um, writer activist, a landman, Curtis Rattray. And I was able to interview him. And in that very short period of time, because yes, the video and recording and trying to record and scramble from the bits of pieces, functioning tools for you or functioning, whatever you call it. So Curtis was one of my victims as well. And from that very short period of time I tried to like choose that what would be the most important thing to ask from him and I chose to ask that uh, what has been the most crucial step for returning your matriarchy where has been the biggest change since he was saying that they are taking back their ancestral laws into practice and, and ancestral governing systems in his area and for my great appallment and sadness, he answered, it was the family trees, returning to the family trees. And the first unit you start to reconnect with all relationship 
is your family, that you start to build up again those sacred relationships that are between a parent and a child, uh, between siblings, uh, between aunts and uncles, between cousins, between your partner. And from that core, the family starts to grow. When the basic relations, the sacred nature of those relationships is relearned and re-understood, and when they come back, the family starts to broaden. It starts to connect your neighboring nations, your neighboring clans, and then it starts to connect with the insects, with the different soils, with the weathers, with the waters, and so forth. And I was amazed with the Curtis, Curtis's reply, and at the same time, I said, saddened, trying to say that, what do I do then if the losses due to the mining industry and the losses due to the Second World War that came has left me without this tight family tree net. And the Curtis was very blunt to say that um, you start with what you have. And second question was obviously, and that was a question that I have been asking for last 30 years from different areas, that if we have lost basically all of our traditional lands, not only by axis, but uh, the burning of acid, acidity, acidic sulfur that came from the nickel mining that has led the areas to be in a state of total destruction. How do I, how do I heal that? And the answer from Curtis's side is that all the damages cannot be undone by just being with the land. Meaning that thought is enough, big damages need big fixes. But the stone grows back, stone can grow back. It might take hundreds, thousands of years, or even in some cases, millions of years, but stone will grow back. And meanwhile, you have to just see the big picture, even though a huge area would be destroyed, stick to that what is still left. And that has led to the last um, almost decade of starting to rewilding or rewilding and restoration work with the scientific community as a one you could say if this would be a scientific process could say that it is a mitigation process for climate change since in a traditional understanding climate change is a result of all the actions against nature's own systems of renewal and rebirth, the cradles of life, whether it be happening on waters or forests or forests or marshlands or oceans, and in order to life to survive, including our species, those systems need to be helped to be in good health and functioning again. And uh, in some cases, it has been a handmade work just shifting a tiny bit, a tiny man-made modification. In some places, as I said, the hard-scale restoration and hard-scale fixes for hard-scale damages. And in some scale, or some cases, it has meant, or the method has been starting to buy off vital old growth forests 
away from logging markets for native and communal use. Lands are being sold at the moment, as you all know, in incredible pace, even though that we are still sticking on the stock markets and for different kind of consuming systems, but they were the big, big wealth and especially old wealth is the investments are made for land, still uh, healthy land, and especially land that is able to produce food. So even though that uh, when speaking about these different kind of processes that are surrounding every one of us like a web and we are having our own ends where to come or join to this web. And even though that space that you would really want to go into would jump straight away from the monetary system and the capitalism and concentrate on the connection between yourself and the land. That is not possible. That withdrawal is not possible, at least in the European context. And those areas, those remote areas, that the kind of withdrawal is still exist, as we know that uh, it's been said that there are still nations that have never developed a contact not that many, but still few. And there are still nations that are still living at a very small level of contact, especially in Siberia. And us who are, have been in a contact for the last 500 years or in the South Sami area for 1,000 years. Even if there would be a geographical places where to go there and hide or withdraw, the climate change is granting an access for Siberia, for the areas that have been uh, not that enticing beforehand, the harsh conditions have not been such inviting, but also the climate change is literally collapsing the foundation, the permafrost that is, that is melting, takes the ground under your feet away. So you have to at some, uh, somehow define a relationship to the present forces that are taking taking the uh, means of or the possibilities of life away from you. And um, modern mental health health care practices say that uh, living against your core values is a cause of depression and the uh, inability to draw borders or have limits is a cause of depression and uh, inability to have a say in your life is a cause of depression and uh, this depression in a very personal but also in a collective scale is somehow a roadmap that leads to the things that need to be undone because I feel that I have been depressed before I was born to this world this kind of a foggy way of sorrow and the rage yes and loss of my inheritance and the physical form of existence. I cannot undress it, but I can, and I need to study its all layers to know it inside out in order to take it to my grave when it's time for that and let it turn into soil again and let it die when it's, it's time. And this transition time that we are living in is a time of great losses, is a time of great traumas is a time of uh, 
long goodbyes, saying goodbyes for so many Arctic species, for instance, that are the cornerstones of our world. Uh, in the southern sphere, it's uh, saying great many times goodbyes to your lands that are drowning. But it's also a time of new solidarity and new alliances and new possibilities to somehow step out from the world that you were born into and step out from the uh, legacy that you were born into and choose, choose to go closer to things that, uh, that feel to be true. And uh, maybe I would just to wish to say one more thought that uh, I, I read a small text. It seems that quite many of the Sami women of my generation, born at the junction of collapsing traditions and approaching modernity, have ended up working with defending our waters and lands, everyone in their own scale, guided by the pain that we feel in our bodies. In other words, our bodies are the indicators for environmental changes, first ones to alarm something is going on. The restoration work in Rivenjautam that my community is doing is based on the observations made by traditional fishermen and reindeer herders about man-made changes to the river basin. Those findings combined with research provide us concepts and a shared language for articulating something that the waters of our bodies have known and pointed out long before that. Changes in temperature, pain and its passing, different forms of waves and thermal penetrations are uneasily communicated knowledge that women in particular seem to be more likely to receive from their environments. And the awareness rising from this realization is that the work done for land protection is no longer a choice, but a bodily commitment. This raises questions about what or who controls the body, especially in a time of broken traditions. Land and water want to prosper and bloom, just as peoples and its members do. The man-made natural damages that are unprocessed both in thought and reality, cause pain both in our body and mind. Sickness and eventually find fading, withering, dying away. The revolution of landing into your own body, accepting the physical shape and tone you are in this physical world, because it is your current form of existing. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HDK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel. Conceived as a think tank, tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods, to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today.
you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hgk at fhnw.ch. Editing and voiceover, Elena Cesar. Music, Niklas Kammermeier. Research team, Tabia Rotfuchs and Marion Ritzmann. Press and communication, Anna Franke. Technical support, Esther Hunziger, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright at Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HDK, FHNW 2022.